Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and today we're going to talk about uh, the project Invisible Children, and also it's just the general topic of student engagement. Uh, with me in the studio are three guests, and we have another guest joining us by phone. So in the studio, we have Renee Tetrick and Hannah Gardy, who are in the American Humanics Program at Indiana University, and Peg Stice is with us, and Peg is uh, what? Campus director. Campus director of of American Humanics. Also joining us uh, by telephone in a few minutes will be Laren Poole, who's one of the original documentary makers of the Invisible Children documentary. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Renee, Hannah, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here with us. And Peg, it's always nice to see you. Thanks. <laughs> Me too. Do we have Laren on the phone? Laren? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Nice to, nice to hear, hear from you. I'm Bob, and uh, you're with Renee, Hannah, and Peg. So, so we're going to have you on here for a few minutes, and we'll, uh, we'll have the other folks uh, talking more. I, I want to start by talking about the Invisible Children and this whole project that you launched. Uh, when was that? When did you start with this? Um, we actually traveled to um, Africa in the spring of 2003, uh-huh. and um, we returned in the summer of 2003, and um, we originally went to cover the genocide in Sudan, but um, we actually stumbled upon the crisis in northern Uganda during our trip of the child abduction and the Lord's Resistance Army. But um, it took us about a year to edit, and we launched it in the summer of 2004, so Technically, it's only been running for about two years. Mm-hmm. I was struck that this morning. I actually looked at the video and uh, the documentary, and I was struck at, uh, at how it began because it seemed as if uh, one of you, it may, it may have been you, I'm not sure which one, said, hey, I think this is going to be fun. And then, you know, I, the more you got into it, I think you said early on, we didn't know what we were doing. We just opened our lenses wide. Um, can you talk about, you know, your your mindset when you went to Africa, and then how it sort of changed you? Yeah. um, I mean, honestly, I'd never even left the United States before I went to Africa. I'd gone down to Mexico a couple times for vacation. But um, when I was asked to go by Jason Russell, um, it was really more for personal reasons for adventure and to see the rest of the world and to actually you know, supposedly help out orphans and widows and these people stuck in these kind of oppressed areas around the world. I didn't know what that looked like, so um, my motivations were, so, like, purely selfish. And But going over there and traveling and seeing um, the way people live and how um, joyful they are, even when they're, you know, stuck in this war for 20 years and they still are giving of their heart, it just completely broke you down as a human being. And um, you felt like you... You, you begin to have a grasp of what really, really matters in this life. So um, it was a complete change, and I was only 19 years old when I went, so it happened pretty young for me. Mm-hmm. And you, you said, uh, the three of you sort of said in the documentary that, you know, what, what you found uh, in the Sudan was not the adventure that you'd expected to find, and then somebody told you, well, you know, go, go see the children in the Sudanese refugee camps. So, I mean, even after you'd been there for a few days, you didn't really know what you'd gotten into, did you? No, um, we were actually quite um, depressed because um, we had to, like, ask friends and family to make all this, all this money to go buy cameras off eBay and buy these plane tickets. And we had gone to Sudan, and it's such a large country. Um, it's actually larger than California, and, but it was just completely desolate from the war for 20 years. We flew up there and got dropped off in the middle of the desert, and there was no one around. And, you know, there was scattered remains of um, the rebel army up there. And so, um, you know, we felt like we had to go follow the people, and they'd all fled in northern Uganda. So we had to change plans and go into northern Uganda. And it, that's, that was just like a, um, a just showed how like inexperienced we were you know we had no idea of like where the people were or what the story was we just knew we wanted to go over there and tell a true film and hopefully um from like the most idealistic and pure hearts just you know help out as the best we could and it's turned into i think 
it always will be that, but it's kind of turned out to be more than that now. Mm-hmm. Let me let me bring Renee and Hannah on. I don't think you've met either one of them, but they're Indiana University students who are are uh, working on this project uh, here in Bloomington. So, so Hannah and and Renee, how'd you get involved with this? Well, actually, um, I I'm Hannah. Um, I saw the film. It came last fall in the fall of 2004, I think. Um, and so I came. To, I watched the film. Um, my major is community development and social change, and so uh, I do a lot of stuff with African studies. And I'm taking Zulu, so I'm really interested in the continent. Um, and so I was really, really motivated by the movie. I felt like it did a really good job of. Um, just painting the picture in a really true fashion. Um, and so I got really excited. I got on the mailing list um, and I just, just started figuring out what I could get involved with. And so that national office contacted me about the national tour and said, would you mind being the community representative? And I said, okay, I can do, I can do that. So, so that's kind of how I fell into this mm-hmm. position. So, Renee? Um, I first saw the film when I was down in um, San Diego, actually, for American Humanics. We went on a um, national conference there about service learning and nonprofit, and it was a really great experience. And through that, we were able to see the film, and that was the first time I saw it. And Hannah was actually there for that, and Peg as well. And staff people from Invisible Children came and spoke with us after we saw the film, and it was just so inspiring, the film itself, and just to hear more about what was going on over there. So Mm -hmm. when I heard Hannah was getting involved, I jumped right on board, and I'm working more on the Global Night Commute and getting that all set up. So Mm -hmm. it's exciting. Uh, What was so exciting was that um, I had already been really excited and trying to figure out how I was going to connect um, students from all different groups and community members and um, faculty members from campus um, to get them involved in in the national tour. And um, when we went in December to, well, in January to the um, American Humanics Conference, the other students saw the film and they got really excited. So I just feel like the movie, um, you can't really watch the movie and leave unchanged. I feel like it's a really inspiring movie and it really really motivates youth to get involved. And so it was really great to come back um, to second semester with just a re, re, um, rejuvenated um, energy to get get started on the work. So, mm-hmm. Lauren, uh, I assume this is uh, the kind of response that you had hoped the film would bring. Um, yeah, I mean it's so it's humbling, but we were we honestly didn't know if we had <clears throat> created a film that did the conflict justice over there, and we went over there and we never really meant to put ourselves into the film. We were actually in the beginning of the film, but, um, you know, we screened it a lot, and people were like, the most interesting, like, progression is, like, um, you three, and you're, like, basically mm-hmm. life change, and, you know, we're no one, like, I didn't even study, I didn't study anything to do with, like, third world studies, development, humanities, or anything like that. I was actually a structural engineer and an art major, and, you know, what we tried to capture was just basically the everyday person's experience over there, and hopefully that would translate to all audiences over here and um, show how, like, important it is that every single person, um, especially people who study, you know, third-world development and third-world studies, to, like, anyone, you know, who works at 7-Eleven, how they can get involved. And um, Renee and Hannah are an awesome example of that as how we just, it's not about us three, like, the the corporation or the the, um, the company Invisible Children is not really, like, centralize it like the power in it like lies in the fact that people take it and own it and go across america and show it to people and um that's where the power of invisible children is is that people everyday people are just really owning it and spreading the word Mm -hmm. our phone numbers are 855-0811 in bloomington 877-285-9348 outside of the local calling area and you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu uh, Laren, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here because obviously this is radio and we can't show the, the video or even, even any clips from it um, on radio. Could you uh, explain to those who maybe are not familiar with it who the Invisible Children are? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's a, a country in Africa called Uganda, and um, there's, a, there's a pretty large tribal split down the middle of it, like the hemisphere. So there's broken up in the southern part and the northern part for to generalize. And in the northern part of Uganda, um, there's been a war going on for 20 years where there's this crazed madman named Joseph Kony, and he's leading a rebel group called the LRA. And what they do is they, um, they roam around the northern part of Uganda because it's really, really dense and jungle, and they move from um, village to village to abduct young children, they take children from anywhere between 5 and 15 years old, 
and they take them into the jungle and they uh, brainwash them and desensitize them to violence, um, uh, train them as child soldiers to use them to go further abduct other children and um, rape and terrorize the local population. And the, the after effects of this thing include that now people no longer live in their village. They actually, um, the government of Uganda has taken all 1.8 million people and put them into basically protected camps where they smash them, sometimes 60,000 people into up to uh, two square miles and, um, you know, hut next to hut in order to um, put, like, Ugandan army around them to protect them from the LRA. And the kids, what the kids do is they no longer sleep in these camps or even sometimes in the in, in local town areas where there is no protected camps. The kids leave their homes around 5 o'clock. They walk unchaperoned by their parents. And they walk into town because the town's a lot more protected by the government, the Ugandan government, against the LRA. And these kids find abandoned buildings, um, verandas, uh, bus parks, and they sleep there for the night to, be, to basically... Um, try to uh, dodge the child abduction because they know the LRA is move, moves through the night and goes upon huts and villages and sometimes even the protected camps they get into to go and abduct kids and loot and um, rape and pillage and terrorize basically. What is, what is their what is the LRA's motivation as far as you can tell? They just want the, want power. They're um, they're a, they're a spiritually kind of cultic, a blend of political and religion. And this um, LRA is Joseph Coney, the leader of the LRA. Is um, he believes he's a, a, a prophet from God. He believes he um, does like basically he wants he's uh, made the proclamation that he wants to run Uganda by the Ten Commandments. But um, it's a mixture of that. Um, uh, basically, he's felt uh, disfranchised from power due to past like governments that before him that have led, um, that have ruled Uganda. There's been overthrow of overthrow of dictator in Uganda, and um, some of them have been from his tribe, and then a southern government will, or southern dictator will overthrow, and then a northern dictator will overthrow where he's from. So he felt right now there's a southern president, and he felt like the one before that, he was part of that, um, that presidency, and it was overthrown by him. So he feels like there's going to be you know, a reprisal and against his own tribe, and he thinks he's protecting him. But the whole irony of the situation is that he's actually doing the most damage to his own people, his own people he goes and abducts and maims and kills. And so, um, but there's not any clear objective. It doesn't seem like it seems like mostly power. Okay. Let me give the phone numbers again, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348, and noon at indiana.edu is our uh, our email address. Uh, I want to ask uh, Renee and Hannah and Peg to just, just uh, since we have Laren on, on the phone, I mean, talk about the, the uh, scene or the part of this documentary that, you know, you want to talk about? I mean, there are so many different scenes, and I made some notes this morning when I was watching it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's memorable to you? And, and you know, this might give Laren some uh, instruction about what the most powerful parts are. And, Renee, let's start with you. Sure. Um, I'd probably say there's a scene in the film where they show um, one of the buildings or the bus parks where the mm -hmm. kids sleep, and you see thousands of children sleeping on top of each other, literally one on top of the other, and you can't help but be just saddened by that and wanting to do something to change that situation. And I think that's probably the most powerful moment in the film to me, and that's the motivation behind the global night commute, um, which is going to be on April 29th, which really can give these children a voice and Americans get their voice out there, too, to stop this war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. The first thing that popped into my mind was that image of um, just several hundred, hundred um, Ugandans just sleeping in these um, verandas that were just on top of each other. That was the most powerful thing for me. But I think another really powerful thing was um, when there was, there was a scene where they met these four um, Ugandan children that would kind of move away from the bus parks to find a, another place underneath the hospital to sleep. And um, 
they were telling the story of how they had been adopted and they had they had run away from the LRA and that a lot of their friends had not had not escaped. And so um, they were saying how he kept saying, "My heart is beeping. My heart is beeping." Whenever I hear, whenever I think about um, my friends and my family that had been killed, my heart just beeps. It just beeps because it just continues to move. And um, I think that phrase, "My heart is beeping," is such a great one. And I know it's on some T-shirts now, which is which is a great a great message. But um, I just think the idea that um, they don't give up, that they keep going, that they, they do find hope and inspiration and the little things is so important and I think that just motivates us to keep on going. So, mm-hmm. Peg? The only thing I'd like to add is because I'm someone who doesn't do well with watching a film like that, I, I was um, inspired by the remarks of the children toward the end and possibly more of them were in the trailers and some of the teasers for the uh, new version of the film coming soon when the children said that they wanted to do things that are realistically kind of out of out of the realm of possibility for some of them, but we this is what this is about is making some of those things possible so they can mm-hmm. go places and do things and be doctors and teachers and mm-hmm. that, that that element of hope is what inspires me about this. Mm-hmm. Well, let me uh, let me add my thoughts because all these are, are amazing. But when uh, I think uh, Laren, it was Jacob and Thomas were mm-hmm. talking and they were talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, one of them was talking about how he, he would just like to die so he could mm-hmm. see his brother, and then he started yeah. to cry. That was a very that was an amazingly yeah. powerful yeah. part of the documentary Definitely. to me. So, so what, what about these four these four scenes that we mentioned? Are those, those surprise yeah. you at all? Um, yeah, I mean, no, actually, I mean, being over there and experience them like outside of the camera, I rem- they all four of those are the most amazing parts of the. That my experiences over there, the crane shot. Um, the first time we saw, we went into that abandoned um, church where there's like that partition in the middle, mm-hmm. and we basically didn't know how to capture and base, and show America how unbelievably packed and tight these kids sleep in order to stay safe and stay dry every night. And um, we actually made an, our own like crane, a jib arm. In order to fasten the camera onto it and show that, and so um, when we saw that when we saw that shot the next morning, we we had a, we would have to wake up at midnight every night and go down to the bus park. We would set up the crane at four and come back at midnight when the kids were sleeping and shoot that. We knew that um, Americans might get a little bit of a glimpse of what it's like to live in northern Uganda, mm-hmm. and um, so I'm really excited that people get um, shivers when they see that because it's unbelievable. It brings up like images of the slave trade for me. I don't know, mm-hmm. like the you know the ships and what they must have looked like coming here to America. That's a, when I saw it the first time. That's the only thing that could go mm-hmm. through my mind. But mm-hmm. um, the four boys who live underneath the uh, um, the underneath the verandas or underneath the uh, the hospital that sneak away are we had built such a relationship with them. Um, they were friends. Honestly, we hung out with them every, during the day we would hang out with them. They'd get out of school, we'd go play soccer with them, we'd mm-hmm. talk to them. And um, it was only after about a week and a half they started opening up, opening up to us and telling us these stories and we would go and like check them and make sure they were true and with other people and their parents. And um, we still stay in contact with Boney and um, Tony Mm-hmm. Actually, Tony is actually in our education program now that we started over there because his mom is HIV positive and his dad died of AIDS. So we're really excited that this thing has been so successful because it's really been able to give back to him. Mm-hmm. And his future looks a lot brighter now. And that leads me into, like, the element of hope is, um, you know, we didn't even do as peg as much as we should have done because these kids – continue to laugh and play every single day and they grow up in the Mm -hmm. worst situation ever and that's the only thing that keeps you sane over there is these kids resilience and Mm -hmm. um i'm glad that you you think that because that's what um the organization's all about is making um these kids dreams come true you know we want to see them um have the opportunities that every child should have in the entire world and that's to go to school and um, you know, their, their future is up to them, and that's all that we can do, and we can give them the best opportunity to make that, um, that dream come possible, you know. So, um, yeah, and Jacob and Tony, Jacob and Thomas, that when they broke down was, I think, the, 
the clincher for us. We knew that we couldn't go back home and ever be the same. We couldn't just go back to our normal lives. Um, when he basically started crying, it was such a such a sh- like a show of trust by him because the kids they're seen as weak when they cry around there, and weakness is often um, very dangerous for a kid to be because it's just a, such a vulnerable situation. So when he started crying, him and his brother started opening up like that. Um, it's uh, it's an, it was a really, um, really, really important point in my life. Mm-hmm. Laren, this is Peg. Um, we're really grateful to you and everyone involved with the movement for giving this a voice and an image. And you know, it's representative of not just this particular uh, problem, um, atrocities, but lots of situations in the world where children and other people are invisible. Hannah and Renee and I were talking before Bob came about the one of the statements on your website, a, a goal statement, which is so similar to some of the statements that we have for our own organizations. Let me just quote this. To equip a generation through education to participate with authority in leadership and to take responsibility for the future of their own lives and country. And I left out the word Ugandan, which was on your website, but it would fit here, too. And I think that's why the students <coughs> and everyone here in Bloomington is so passionate about this. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let me uh, – when I was watching this morning, it struck me that, that this was a, um, a much more real version of, you know, the Hollywood hit Hotel yeah. Rwanda. Right. I mean, it, that was uh, a movie that was – that I think got a lot of people thinking – but uh, your version of what's going on in, in uh, Uganda was even more real, Hannah. Right. I, I have a lot of African friends um, at school that are doing African studies and African history um, for their Ph.D. program. And um, a lot of them have seen the film. And so it's been really interesting to hear their perspective on um, how they see an African um, documentary as compared to other African documentaries they've seen in the past. And um, pretty much all of them have said that um, Invisible Children does an amazing job of not um, sensationalizing the Images of Africa. Um, of course, it's hard to um, portray to portray Africa in its true sense because um, it is foreign to us as Americans. But um, definitely, I feel like a lot of um, the African Student Association and um, other Africans I've talked to feel very very positive about Invisible Children, and um, they really think that it does a really good job of just really humanizing the issue and really looking at um, individual um, perspectives and taking individuals and telling their story, which is, I think the best way to go about it. So um, from an African perspective, I think the Invisible Children did a great job. Mm-hmm. We have an email that uh, I think is, is, uh, gets right down to the point. It says, how can I see the film? Well, I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Invisible Children is going. The national tour is coming um, Wednesday, the twenty sixth, and Thursday, the twenty seventh. We're having four screenings. Um, The two main screenings for public are um, Wednesday, the twenty sixth, at seven p.m. in Wittenberger Auditorium of the IMU, and on Thursday, April twenty seventh, at six p.m. at Rhinos, which is on South Walnut. Um, Both of those main screenings, we're going to have um, South African gumboot dancing. Um, then we're going to have the, sc- the screening of the film, and then we'll be having a national discussion, a panel um, from the Invisible Children National um, representatives are going to be there. And we'll also have Cyprian, who is from Uganda and doing his Ph.D. in um, Uganda, northern Ugandan conflicts. So pretty much he is studying the LRA, and he'll be there to answer questions about what's happening um, just in more detail. So, Okay. Uh, Laren, what's, uh, what's your website so people can find out more? Um, it's invisiblechildren.com, and um, right now we're doing a really big push. Um, I think it was Hannah who was talking about it, the Global Night Commute, and um, that's like the number one thing we're trying to get people involved with. It's yeah. coming up here in eight days or seven days, mm-hmm. April 29th. Yeah. Renee? Um, just to tell you a little bit about more about that, um, on t- April 29th here in Bloomington, we have 37 people signed up. And if people are interested in this event, you can go to InvisibleChildren.com to sign up. And basically what this is is to bring Americans together and their local community in a centralized place to emulate what these kids are going to. And it's not only empathizing with them, but it's a way to give Americans a voice who have been affected by this film and inspired and want to um, continue to sh- show the world what is going on over in Africa. So um, just to tell everybody what our plan is, on at 7.30 p.m. on April 29th, we are going to be meeting at the Sample Gates. 
and that's on Indiana Avenue. And we're going to be walking from there to our location right now is North Fee Lane and North Jordan Avenue on the corner field right there. And it's going to be a really amazing event. We're going to be writing letters to senators, um, to the president, to the children over in Uganda, and we're really excited. So we urge you to get involved. Yeah. Also, when you come to see the film, there will be a place that you can sign up to make sure that you, um, we can contact you with all the specific information. And uh, at, also at the films, they're going to be um, selling the bracelets that um, and T-shirts that are all, all the money goes back right into um, the education program. Oh, and a cell phone is ringing, so <laughs> that's uh, we'll, we won't answer that now. <laughs> uh, Laren, before we let you go, I, I do want to get back to sort of the, the main point of, of the documentary because there were so many things that struck me about it this morning when I, when I saw it. Um, I want to go back to one of the main points about who the invisible children are. I mean, these are kids between 5 and 15 who are abducted and basically taught to kill, and the um, I, if I understood correctly, a lot of the the method of teaching involves killing some of the other kids in yeah. front of these kids, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, when the LRA abducts the kids, um, oftentimes they take the kids and um, make them kill their own parents in order to sever that tie of no longer they have a home. There's nowhere place to run back from the jungle to escape, you know, run to escape from the LRA. So that's like the first step. Sometimes they take them in, or after that, they take them into the jungle. They file them up, single file, and oftentimes they just kill a kid immediately, and they say, um, that will ha- that's what's going to happen to any of you if you think about running away. And they kind of use this, like, spiritualism, like, where they say, oh, I was reading his mind, and he was thinking about running away. And um, immediately if kids start crying, they're oftentimes, like, killed or beaten thoroughly, and um, when they get into the jungle, they start training them in how to use a gun and military tactics, and a lot of times they make the kids um, to kind of like, you know, as like, I don't know, not as a graduation, or but just stories of you hear um, kids having to go and kill another kid, like a, a gigantic, as a gang, um, to like finalize your training in the LRA, to like draw blood and to see what that is, and um kind of break down that wall of, you know, of mental sanity. And now that you're just, you're being trained as just a killer. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty horrifying. And so your, your entire movement, it seems to me, is to try to do A, stop this from happening, but B, make sure that, that more kids in Africa have a future other than that. Correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our, our huge goal right now is trying to, um, motivate our government and change a few policies within it to go over there and help end the war in northern Uganda. It's been going on for 20 years. It's the, it's the longest-running war in Africa right now. And if you look at the numbers, more people die in northern Uganda a week than they do in Iraq and in Darfur. Um, number-wise, it's the second-worst crisis in the entire world right now. And no one knows about it. And um, that just, I think it has comes down to the lack of resources up there and just the fact that it's been just kind of hidden up in northern Uganda. It's been overshadowed by a lot of conflicts in that area. So we're just, we're really trying to bring attention to it. And we're so blessed now to have an organization, Invisible Children, the organization behind the movie where kids and people and all viewers who see it can get involved and help A, end the war in northern Uganda on April 29th or contribute their time and money to um, helping these kids see a better future over there in northern Uganda. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to let you go. We have to take a break here, and we're going to let you go, and I'm going to talk with Renee and Hannah and Peg more about okay. this afterward. But we appreciate your being here with us, uh, Laren Poole, who's one of the, the original uh, producers of the documentary Invisible Children. Thanks a lot, Laren. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks Hannah coming. and Renee. Yeah. Bye, Laren. Bye. Our, all right, you're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about the Invisible Children, the documentary, and we're also uh, going to be talking more about just student engagement when we come back. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. 
And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. This evening, African Music Concert for Darfur, featuring the ensemble La Moroccan Andalusian Orchestra. And that's at 7.30 at First Presbyterian Church on East 6th Street in Bloomington. Something's Afoot is a spoof of the whole whodunit genre, and it's on in Kokomo, on the IUK campus in Havens Auditorium tonight and Saturday at 8, Sunday at 2. The Windfall Dancers are presenting the Dance Roots of Rock and Roll, and that's tonight and Saturday at the John Waldron Arts Center. Cartoonist Mike DiCarlo discusses his career and demonstrates the basics of comic art at 1 o'clock at the Putnam County Public Library Saturday afternoon. The Bloomington Symphony Orchestra collaborates with the Indianapolis Arts Chorale and the Indianapolis Opera, presenting its spring classical concert, Encore Opera's Greatest Hits, and that's at Freemasons Hall in Indianapolis, Saturday evening at 8 o'clock. Sunday afternoon, they'll be at the Indiana University Memorial Union at 2. More about all of these and many others on our website, and that's at wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times. Uh, we're talking today about the documentary Invisible Children and more generally just uh, the topic of student engagement. With me uh, in the studio are two IU students, Renee Tetrick and Hannah Gardy, and they are both American Humanics students. And Peg Stice, the director of American Humanics, is here with us too. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the local calling area, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, Peg, I want to ask you about American Humanics. What does that mean? How many students do you have? And uh, anything else you want to throw in there? What that means is that we are one of 72 campuses in the country participating in a national program with affiliation to a national office called American Humanics. It's a unique nonprofit management opportunity that campuses uh, choose to participate in in order to not only train young folks to work in nonprofits later, but also to exercise relationships with agency partners. So the national office partners up with national nonprofits. And then at the local level, we tap into the resources of those local affiliates of those national partners so that our, our students are not only trained, it's a course-based curriculum or a, a theoretical-based curriculum in nonprofit management leadership, ethics, philanthropy, social action, and then the students have an internship component and they participate in a national conference. And by exercising these national contacts, we have this built-in connection to the local affiliates. So at the national level, it's run by university presidents, CEOs of major, major agencies, business folks. And at the local level, each campus puts its own community council together. And so here it's faculty members and community um, community members, especially executive directors of the local affiliates of these national partners. So the goal is really training in the business skills of nonprofit management, but also really uh, um, exercising the relationships with these partners so that we get them jobs later and have carefully supervised internship experiences and their first real professional development experience in that they have to raise their own money to go to that national conference. Mm -hmm. How many students are involved at IU? I don't know. I think, I think right now we have, uh, I think, 40 are take in the program doing uh -huh. um, coursework. And then in the student group, I feel that there are about 25 committed students that are really, really motivated. And the number just continues to grow at an exponential rate. Um, the numbers have gone up so much since I was a freshman. And now that we're leaving, we have such a great, great committee that are um, going to take on lead next semester. So, mm -hmm. And when I say I don't know, it means that there are so <laughs> many students because we have – there are two ways to go. You can get the certificate. So we have nine seniors graduating with a certificate this year. But we have dozens of students involved in the student association. Mm -hmm. So you can participate in this. And one of the strengths is that in this great big, huge 38,000 student body, it creates this 
this little home base and gives them a mm -hmm. sense of family. Mm -hmm. They get to know their faculty members really closely and the agency directors as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu if you want to talk about student engagement with uh, Renee, Hannah, and Peg and, and Bob. <laughs> I need to mention that the home base for American Humanics is at SPIA, but this, the program is for students of all majors, so they can probably talk a little bit about that diversity, but that's one of the other strengths of the program. Mm -hmm. Well, I, wanted to, I want uh, both Renee and Hannah to talk about their sort of involvement, and, you know, Hannah, you, I'll let you go first. You talked about how when you came here as a freshman, there weren't this many people involved, but yeah. where did you come from, and how did you get started in this whole um, area of, of being engaged with different uh, mm -hmm. organizations and groups? Yeah, I'm from East Lansing, Michigan, uh, and I came to IU because um, I heard that they had amazing, just amazing opportunities through SPIA um, in their um, public policy programs, and their sociology program was really good. And so um, I came here, and I didn't really know how to combine all of the, the great resources IU offered into one program, so I created an individualized major through COAS, um, College of Arts and Sciences, to um, create a major that kind of looked at all the aspects of um, building strong communities that really engaged um, their, their community members, whether they be low income or high income, um, together to work to make a better place for them to live. And so um, my major combines um, sociology, social work, political science, and then American Humanics nonprofit management certificate. Um, and so because of that, I've had a really good overview of how to really get involved. Um, and a big part of of my, of my college experience has been being involved in the community, in the Bloomington community. Um, I work at Middleway House. I've worked there for almost three years. Um, I'm the co-founder of a student group on campus called Friends of Middleway House, which um, educates, advocates, and fundraises for Middleway and its mission. Um, and then I'm a big brother, a big sister with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Um, I've been mentoring a little girl for three and a half years. Um, and then I, I dance um, in gumboat dance, which is a South African um, cultural dance that I'm really involved in. So there's some other things. So you're keeping pretty busy. <laughs> pretty, pretty busy. Right. And, yeah. and you're, you're going to be graduating this year? Yep. I graduate in May, and um, I'm leaving for July for the Peace Corps. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to Africa. I find out in 10 days where I'm going, uh -huh. which is extremely exciting for and me. And Monday, so. she defends her capstone project and for her IMP. Yes. Monday, oh. I defend my thesis. So. Okay. <laughs> what, what uh, after the Peace Corps, do you have any idea what, what you want to do? Yeah. There? I'm actually really interested um, in coming back and going to grad school. Um, right now, there are two options, um, international public policy or taking a more um, like local, national look at um, masters in social work. So right now, um, I'm excited to go to Africa. I'm sure that I'm sure that my mind is going to be broadened and that my, my passions are going to be um, emphasized a little over there. So I'm sure I'm going to come back with some new ideas and some new ways I want to put my passion to work. But right now, it's international public policy or okay. social work. <laughs> All right. Renee? Um, well, I'm from Glen Ellen, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, and I came down to IU, and as a freshman, as many of us are not knowing what we want to go into, and I kind of floundered around for a bit from education to social work to psychology to sociology, and finally pinpointed um, that I loved sociology, and I'm in the College of Arts and Sciences, um, and I don't think it was until my sophomore year that I really... Um, felt grounded in my educational experience, and that's when I found American Humanics, mm -hmm. and I can honestly say it's the best education that I've gotten here at IU. And I truly love this program because it involves so many different aspects. You through, we're involved in the student association where monthly we go on service projects, working with the Boys and Girls Club, Middleway House, and I've also gotten internship experience at the Children's Organ Transplant Association here in Bloomington. And this past year, I worked with Big Brothers Big Sisters as their Bulford Kids Sake coordinator, which is a great experience mm -hmm. for me, um, working a lot with fundraising and in the community. So mm -hmm. it's a really well-rounded program. You're working in the community, you're working with the campus, and all sorts of Thanks. Yeah, when are you going to be graduating? Um, May as well. In May, and what, 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 what will you do then? Um, still finalizing. I um, <laughs> applied for AmeriCorps, and I'm also looking at different nonprofits in Chicago. I'm really interested in education and youth and community development. Mm -hmm. so. well, I think it, it's it, the timing of this show is obviously we timed it because of what's coming up April 26th to the 29th, but I also think it's uh, it's it's 
good fortune that it's Little 500 weekend mm-hmm. because there's going to be so much focus on some things that happen on campus this weekend. I'm sure a lot of parties, a lot of drinking, a lot of uh, you know a lot of good things with the the bicycle races, but then a lot of stuff that goes with it that will get a, a lot of attention you know in the community. And this gives us an opportunity to talk about I think the other side of being a student and the other the other thing that students bring to the community. So I, I wish that the two of you again would would sort of address that in terms of the of the sort of the perception of today's college student uh, at IU or anywhere versus the reality. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting. Um yeah, a really interesting thought, and I think that it's something that a lot of students, I think, think about a lot. Um, Little 500 is is a crazy time on IU's campus, definitely, but I think that um, looking at just being so involved in the campus and being so involved in the community with other students, I've definitely realized how um, how passionate students are, especially from IU's campus, to get involved in the community and to really make a difference. Um, I, I couldn't even list enough people that are um, doing internships, that are volunteering, that really make it their goal to get involved and give back to the community. Um, I think that's something really special. Coming from Michigan State University, well, the college town in East Lansing, uh, I, really, I really see a difference in the Bloomington perspective from the East Lansing perspective because I feel like um, the combination and the collaboration between campus and community is so strong in Bloomington. Um, just going to the Heart and Hands Awards, um, just seeing seeing so many students be recognized for their impact and their um, what they do in the community. I think is so positive, and um, so I really do think that while while this week is a crazy week for college students, I also do feel like. Um, Students are really engaged and really um, passionate about giving back to not even just the Bloomington community, but really the world in general. Mm-hmm. Renee, any thoughts? Yeah, I'd agree with Hannah. I mean, like you said, Little Five is always a crazy time, but I think it also brings in a lot of tradition. And um, I think bouncing off of that, you can look at just so many people in the community that are doing great things. And here at IU, programs like Leadership, Ethics, and Social Action, and COPSL, Community Outreach and Partnership and Service Learning. There are so many ways that students can get involved from mm-hmm. civic leadership development through the business program, through American Humanics. There are just so many great ways to volunteer and feel like Bloomington is your home. So mm-hmm. students really are getting involved in that way. Well, obviously, I'm glad you mentioned the Heart and Hand Awards since the newspaper mm-hmm. is one of the sponsors for yeah. that. And I couldn't go this week, but um, you were there. It, it, it does. It does strike me that, that there are, every year during the, that program mm-hmm. there are a lot of – they give one big award to a, a college student, but right. there are a lot of students who are there because they've, they've been involved in things. Peg, you, you, um, you know, in one of your lives, you were the <laughs> director of the United Way here in, in Bloomington. And from, from your perspective from you know, that history, can you talk a little bit about what college students bring to the community? At the award this ceremony this week, the American Humanities students actually volunteered with the setup and passing out name tags, and they were an integral part of it. And what what really struck me was that that town gown in action. Mm-hmm. I know not everyone likes that phrase, but you know, here's Mark Cruzan with his great sense of humor, the mayor, and who's the who was your rep? I'm oh, sorry, Brooke McCluskey. Yeah. yeah, they did such a great job of, of weaving the community and the university together. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they were knowledgeable. They, they had all these these shared stories about you know personal stories about connections. Dean McKeg was there. We're so lucky here to have this this world where everyone embraces the students and. Uh, really tries to engage them. Um, yesterday, Dwight Burlingame came down from the Center on Philanthropy to host at the Pointer Center on Ethics a luncheon for the American Humanics graduates and the nonprofit management majors at SPIA. And they went around the room and asked the students what mattered most. And pretty much without exception, it was either the close relationships they've been able to establish with the community members and faculty or the fact that they were able to take what they're learning in the classroom and apply it. And I am just constantly inspired by these. I mean, they just blow me away. I, I tell them I'm their agent. I'm their advocate. I'm the facilitator of communication. I just sit back and try to figure out what, what they're doing next. It's, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some, something that was so so wonderful about American Humanics is that um, you really did feel at home. You really felt like you had a place to go. Um, you know, I know every single one of my professors, um, I know about their history, where they worked, what they're doing next. Um, Anne-Marie's going to the Congo to start a nonprofit um, for 
um, community health related issues. Um, just just having that not just um, friendship but respect and um, that to see them as a colleague as well as a professor as a mentor is such a wonderful thing and I feel like that totally plays into how I relate to my other professors outside of American Humanics. I just because I because I had that connection and because I was so engaged in in my coursework that applied to my community um, engagement, I feel like I could really relate that to all of my classes and um, I feel like I've just had the best college experience ever because I've I've loved inside of the classroom outside the classroom so much. So mm-hmm. well, at the Heart and Hand Awards, I think the theme was follow your passion and mm-hmm. both of you uh, seem to uh, well you're you've got varied <laughs> pa- a lot of passions I guess um, you know if you go back to the the invisible children I mean clearly mm-hmm. you know Laren and and Josh Josh and Bobby right Jason and Bobby uh, clearly they found a passion in these right. children in in Africa so I mean have you figured out what your passions are um, I'll go ahead. Um, just looking broadly, I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about programs here at IU that are making a difference. And what I want to do with my life is just go out there and make a difference in somebody's life to create change. And like this film is doing, it's they found their passion in Africa and helped these kids, and they put it to work. They built this nonprofit organization, and they're motivating other people, and that's what I want to do. I want to motivate and inspire others to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Anna? Yeah, and I think um, I think following that, um, I don't, I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, <laughs> but I also, I think that um, I'm really motivated at looking at social change and how to really create sustainable social change. Um, I feel like I feel like our generation, while we are we are engaged, I feel like we have become somewhat apathetic to how to make large, large structural social change. And so I'm really interested in how to do that on a national level and an international level. Um, I I feel like I have so many interests that. Sometimes it's hard for me to decide if I want to live in Africa all my life or if I want to if I want to live in Chicago. So I'm not really sure where where that's going to take me. But um, How about Bloomington, Bloomington, <laughs> Bloomington is a great place too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure exactly exactly where that's going to take me. But yeah, looking at how to make large large changes um, structurally would be what okay. I'm passionate about. Well, you know, I'm enjoying this conversation a lot. But if if anybody at home wants to call in, you still can. We've got about five <laughs> minutes to go. Is all but eight five five zero eight one one. Is the local number eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight is the uh, number outside the Bloomington area and noon at Indiana edu is the email address. Um, both of you are, are sort of talking about Hannah. You in particular said you know that, that you want to make large structural changes, mm-hmm. and I was struck again watching this uh, documentary this morning at how. You know, a lot of it's difficult to watch, and I think mm-hmm. that, that it's a it's an issue. I mean, Laren talked about how nobody knows about it. Well, a lot of people know about it, but people, I think, just mm-hmm. try to, I don't know, pull put a, a cover over it yeah. or something. I mean, the U.S. government certainly knows about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, how do you how do you when there's a huge issue like these right. you know, these kids five to fifteen years old in Africa mm-hmm. who are being you know taught to be killers or being killed themselves? I mean, how do you make people? Uh, care about these things mm-hmm. when it's you know they, they've got their own issues at home trying to get their kid to school and right. that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that there's a big difference between knowledge and behavior. I think there's a big difference between um, hearing a story and really understanding a story and being passionate about a story. And I think that I think the way the way you can you can change that is by connecting it to a personal a personal story. So um, yeah, there are five to fifteen year olds are being abducted every night. I mean, imagine if if your fifteen year old kid was taken from your house that night. You know, and I think that really do really seeing the film does give you that that connection it does inspire you to look beyond beyond your house to another continent and um, just on a, on a local level starting friends of Middleway house which is a group on campus um, we've been really trying to change the structural issues on campus and how to really address prevention work for sexual assault and um, things like that and we've done a really great job it's been it's been an adventure it's it's, we're at its one-year mark right now, and we've done so much this year. And I just feel like um, even just looking at a, a micro level of how to make sustainable change and um, a structural change, I think it's step-by-step, step and it's um, making those collaborations with other student groups and campus organizations that you can really um, move forward and make and cut through the red tape, you know, so. Mm-hmm. How, how do you make sure that, that something like Friends of Middleway House will stay after you graduate and yeah. go to a Peace Corps? It's a great question. <laughs> it's something I worry about sometimes. Um, Friends of Middleway has just done 
so much in one year that it's it's hard to believe that um, that's only been around for one year. But we have such a great group of um, of students that are committed to the organization, and um, we just had we just had our elections to get our new executive board. And I just really feel like they they understand the passion behind the mission. They understand um, they understand why it's so important. And and I think that it's so important to build those build those roads between between years so that. Um, because we go to, we are in a university, so we have four years. We have four years to make a difference, and so when you leave, you hope that your difference is going to sustain itself. And I think that, um, you know, I have a huge manual that I'm going to give the new president. <laughs> like, here you go. Here is all of my knowledge <laughs> in a little book. So I think that um, by building strong relationships with younger participants and um, by making sure that they know all of your connections, by meeting with Toby, the executive director of Middleway, with the new president, so they understand each other and know who they are and what the big goals are. Um, and setting setting attainable goals, I think, is the best idea, um, so that they don't feel overwhelmed when next year comes around and they say, "How do we do this?" You know, that they um, they know what they know what's coming and they know how to how to really sustain it and do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Peg, I just wanted to add, putting my resource development hat on <laughs> from the fundraising minor at Hyper. The key, I think to sustaining a lot of these things has to do with communication. Mm-hmm. My, my passion is making connections. And if we all really pool our resources at literally at places like the United Way Resource Center and the new civic engagement portal that the university is, is rolling out, which is backslash tilde engage, <laughs> uh, and that, you'll be hearing more about that soon, we, we need to make sure these resources are available and that the consistent, quality, accurate information is given to everyone seeking it when they're trying to do mm-hmm. these things. So we, we make all these things happen for the students. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Bloomington is fortunate? Because as you, you, you guys have been a, um, definitely an example of what IU is doing and how IU is engaging. Uh, we know that, that uh, Ivy Tech has a student engagement um, as part of its whole mission and then high schools. I, I think I read that your first meeting, there were several high school yeah. kids from South there, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, we, it's so great that the planning committee for Invisible Children is such a wide variety of people. It's community members, it's faculty from the university, it's college students, and it's a lot of high school students. We're working really closely with Bloomington High School South students um, on getting a screening there, and the screening there is going to be from 3 to 5 right after school on Thursday, April 27th. We're also having a screening at Ryan, I mean, at Harmony at 1 p.m. on Wednesday, the 26th. So um, we're really excited to be in the high schools and engaging with the students. And they are so motivated. They're having a bake sale on the 26th and the 27th during their lunch hour at Bloomington South. And so um, it's been really an amazing experience to work with younger students. Um, two of them are freshmen in high school, and just seeing how passionate they are and how they're already so engaged and ready to to make some make some big differences at their high school has been Amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to try to slide in one phone call. We've got about 30 seconds to go. Charlotte, go ahead. Good afternoon. I just wanted to encourage everyone at IU as students to get involved in IU's mentoring program. I feel yes. like every student has an opportunity to show their passion and all the wonderful experiences. These two young ladies, I'm sure, have in some way mentored someone, mm-hmm. and I am an adult student from Continuing Studies, and I'm actually involved in one of the mentoring programs, and I just really it has really added to my experience, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that every student, they might not be able to go to Africa, but they can make a difference on our IU campus by just getting involved Definitely. in the mentoring program. That's okay. so great. Thanks a lot, Charlotte. Thank you. We're about out of time. Um, the website address again is invisiblechildren.org? Yep. No, um, dot .com. Dot invisiblechildren.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and you... our screenings are on invisiblechildren.com. If you go to screenings, you can find out where and when all the Bloomington screenings are going to be. Okay, we are out of time. I want to thank Renee Tetrick, Hannah Gardy, and Peg Stice. For producer Nicole Brooks and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.